Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Ash Beckham about eight pillars of everyday leadership. Ash Beckham, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. So excited to be here, John. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm super excited to have a nice conversation with you today. We're going to be focusing on your book, Step Up, where you talk about eight pillars of everyday leadership. And we'll zoom in and uh, talk more specifically about inclusive leadership as well. Uh, That's a really important topic. I'm super excited for the conversation and to pick your brain and get your insights uh, and share your wisdom with my listeners. As we get started, I wanted to share Ash's bio with everybody. Ash Beckham is an inclusion activist whose TEDx talk, Coming Out of Your Closet, became a viral sensation. Her intrepid, relatable, and intrinsically comical style has made her an in-demand speaker, including events at Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, Bank of America, and the keynote for the first LGBTQ conference at Harvard University. For more information, you can visit her website at ashbeckham.com. Uh, Ash, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before we dive on into the conversation? Oh, I feel like the, the only thing would be um, I'm a, a parent of two. We have a about to be four-year-old and about to be one-year-old. And I feel like if, if that doesn't teach you uh, some of those pillars of, of leadership, like patience and humility, I think that sometimes those are the best uh, instructors. So as we go through, I, I think the important thing is when we think of leadership, that it isn't just something that we do at work, right? It's something that we explore in our everyday lives and to see those opportunities wherever they are, I think is, is critical. Yeah. And so I like how you focus on everyday leadership. Uh, certainly that includes self-leadership. That includes leadership in home and community. That includes leadership in the workplace as well. And these principles of leadership really do apply in all walks of life. And everyone is and should see themselves as a leader, uh, as a person who can influence those around them, who can support and uplift those around them. And so, yeah, this, this is going to be a lot of fun as we uh, tackle this. Now, as we get started, uh, maybe you can outline for us uh, first why the book Step Up, uh, and then what are those eight pillars that you focus on? Sure. Well, the, the reason to, that, I, that I wrote the book really was... To, to make to level the playing field, I think, on um, accessibility to leadership, that the leadership is more of a, a, a disposition rather than a position. And so this is for, you know, anybody in a C-suite at a Fortune 100 company to the 10-year-old captain of the soccer team, right? That, that everybody has moments where, where they can lead and it isn't based on the size of your budget line or how many direct reports you have, right? That, that we have opportunities every day and, it, and it's almost as important in that indi- indirect leadership space where, where, you know, it isn't somebody that we, that we see every day or, or that, that 
you know, follows us by the way the org chart is, but the people that see us when we hold the door for somebody else, when we help a colleague that's that's having some challenges, right? When when we really step up into our lives and, and show up in the ways that, that we know we can. And the idea of stepping up is, is that there are these incremental steps, right? You don't take this like bounding leap because you get appointed to a new position or you have a revised job title, then all of a sudden you become a leader. It are these small things that we do every day, how we show up in our communities, how we show up with our families, how we show up with our friends, right? That, that it becomes a, a lifestyle. And so we focus on things, some, some people would consider some of them soft skills, but to me it's, it's integral. Um, we're talking about leadership wherever you are in your life. Um, and, and it's more of a toolkit than anything else, um, because the best leaders know what tools to use in the right situation, right? So I think, you know, they say, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But when we find ourselves in these challenging situations, do I need to show um, a, a little bit of courage, but also some grace? Is humility my best approach in this? How do I make the most of the situation and make every opportunity, not only a an opportunity for me to grow as a leader, but also, um, you know, the ability to to bring people with me and and to rise up to that higher level, to be the leader I want to be, and also set the framework where other people can do the same. So uh, the the pillars, the tools in the toolkit are empathy, responsibility, courage, grace, individuality, humility, patience, and authenticity. And again, they they all work in concert, right? Sometimes you need a little bit of this and a little bit of that, depending on who you're speaking to, where they are, the topic that you're discussing. And, and our best approach as leaders is to use the right tools at the right time for the outcome that we're looking for, right? For those growth opportunities. So so that's that's the basis of the book. And, and really it's it's an approachable, approachable um, vision of leadership. And the everyday piece is both that, anybody can do it, right? That it's accessible to everybody, but also it's it's a practice. It's something that we do each and every day, not when we, you know, log into our first Zoom meeting of the day or, you know, jump into that that first budget call. It, it's something that we do every day and, and that we practice and we get better incrementally, but constantly on that trajectory of moving moving forward and moving up. Yeah, well, I love that. And those are eight really important principles uh, for leading the good life and and being able to be impactful and influential and and serving those around you, uh, and you know I'm biased. I I I had a book that came out uh, late November last year, um, the Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, and and the uh, subtitle is Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. I completely buy into this uh, the exact thing you're describing. Um, we're all leaders. We don't. Um, just all of a sudden become a leader. It's something we have to, in a disciplined way, practice over time. And it's it's the consistency in doing small things, simple things regularly that ultimately transform who we are, how we interact with others around us, and will help us to have a greater impact for good around us. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that's perfect. Perfectly. That's perfectly said. I love that. So, I mean, but that's that's the hard part, right? Because we all have good intentions. I, very few people, I think, um, approach the world from a, a place of, you know, I, I want to go exploit people and I, I want to go cause harm. You know, th those people exist, but they're incredibly rare. Most people want to do well by others. Most people want to be effective. Most people want to go and have success at 
work. Most people want to do a good job. Most people want to live a good life. Um, but things just get in the way and it's hard to establish good habits. It's hard to be consistent. And when life starts to like weigh down on us, we, those are often some of the first things we let go as we revert back to, you know, comfort, uh, coping mechanisms and, and things like that. Uh, so what do you think, like, how, how do we start the process of establishing these, these eight principles you just discussed, creating them and, and erecting them as pillars in our life, not just concepts that we know are important or things that we aspire to, but things that we're really going to, to have as foundational in how we act, how we live. I, I think that I think you're right. I think it, it is hard and, and it's it's always easier to not push ourselves, right? So I think the first thing we have to do is embrace the fact that we are gonna have missteps and we are gonna have failures. And we need to be able to embrace the awkwardness that comes with kind of sitting in that discomfort. Um, and I think that that's such a critical part, right? That then we're not gonna, you know, the, the point of courage is just an example. The point of courage is not to, you know, get rid of fear, that's, that's never going to happen. That's kind of your, your core center and tells you that you're doing something that's challenging. It's how do you feel the fear and then act anyway, right? So, so it's really embracing that things are not going to go perfectly, that, that when we push ourselves to be leaders and, and to be inclusive leaders, that we are going to make mistakes. And, and that's okay, because that's where we grow. And that's where we learn, right? I've never never met anybody interesting who's had a perfect life, right? And, and so how do we how do we take those challenges and, the, and those mistakes and those missteps uh, and, and have them as fuel for us getting better, right? If there was no improvement to be made, there would be no stepping up. And if we see that we have nowhere to improve as a leader, I think that's kind of our, our, first, our first mistake. I, th I think a lot of times there's this framework that exists that, that failure is, is not something that we celebrate where where to me, well-intended failure is, is proof that we are exploring these things that are new to us and, the, and these new challenges and these things that we might not know anything about, especially when we're talking about inclusion and, and groups that are marginalized. We're, we're certainly, we have a responsibility, of course, to, to educate ourselves and make sure we're clear on our unconscious bias that we bring to the table, but at the same time, we, you know, people are so afraid of saying the wrong thing that they say nothing. And then that's when we stop, right? That's when we, when we're not growing, when we're not moving. I mean, I think we want the trajectory as leadership, of course, to be at an angle that's straightened up. But if you zoom in on it, there's all these little ups and downs, right? And, and that's what, that's what makes it count. That's where we, we learn. Sure, we celebrate successes, but we learn from our missteps and, and we're richer for it. And, and so will we embrace that as as part of our leadership brand, personally, that we, if we're not making mistakes, then we're not pushing ourselves hard enough is a completely different mindset. But think of the innovation and creativity that comes from your team when you set up a dynamic that, you know, well thought, not, not reckless mistakes, certainly, but mistakes that happen are to be expected, right? That means you're, you're shooting you're shooting outside of your comfort zone and that's that's the critical part so i think that's the first thing that we need to think of when when bringing those in is is that it isn't perfect and it isn't easy and we don't embark on it because we're going to do it right we embark on it because it's the right thing to do and eventually we will get it right yeah i i think that's such an important point and it's hard because many organizations don't have 
a culture where it's safe uh, to, to experiment in the way you're describing. I agree that it's absolutely essential and we want psychologically safe environments. Uh, and, and we as leaders can help create that environment and we model it right for our team. And then we hold them accountable and we share that clear expectation with them that, yeah, if you're never challenging assumptions or the status quo, if you're never pushing the envelope, never trying to see how else you might be able to do something or, you know, explore some new product or service or whatever, that we're never innovating if that's not happening. And, and we're, we're just stagnant. And if we're stagnating, we're not going to be compelling. We're not going to be adding value in the market and we're not going to be competitive uh, in a hyper-competitive marketplace, right? And, and so we have to have that environment, yet many organizations, perhaps most organizations, aren't set up for that. They don't have that kind of a culture and, and they actively thwart you know, creativity and innovation through the layers of bureaucracy, through um, through the types of sometimes subtle, sometimes very overt types of punishments uh, for failure that can occur. And, and so people tend to play it safe. In most cases, most people will play it safe. They'll try to stay under the radar. They're going to try to, you know, do as much as they need to, to, to stay safe and nothing more. And that's a recipe for long-term failure for any team, for any organization. Uh, so it starts with us modeling it, modeling uh, the, the, uh, the healthy skepticism, modeling the iteration, modeling uh, the experimentation, and encouraging it and applauding it when we see other people doing it, even when it doesn't work out. Like you said, it doesn't mean we're reckless. It doesn't mean we're, we're trying, you know, we're not going to applaud someone when they're reckless. We're not going to applaud someone when they do something um, that took six months and cost the company $10 million and whatever. But if, you know, if, if you're falling forward, failing fast, iterating and learning from your mistakes and growing so that the next step you're, you have improved it, that's, that's exactly what we want. That's not called failure. That's called learning. That, that's called growth to your point. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Absolutely. And if we don't, if we don't allow, if we don't learn from those mistakes, like you said, then, then we're not, 
learning. Like think of the last time you made a wrong call, whether that's the route that you took to drop the kids off at school or your, you know, I have a very like a uh, select way that I go through the grocery store to be most efficient, right? When, and, and not even in those big ways, right? We don't just like go in and drop a bomb about, you know, reconfiguring the entire system at work, right? We, we do it in these in these little ways and and just that personal acknowledgement of of mistakes. Like I, at the end of the week, I try to do something where I, I think every day back on, or I look back at the week and on Friday, I say, what what mistakes did I make this week? And not as an analysis of my shortcomings, but where was I pushing myself? Because for me, I want those two things to always be linked. And if I didn't make any mistakes, then what did I miss, right? Where then I go back and look at the opportunities where I could have pushed a little bit farther, right? Like it's this constant account, self-accountability. Um, and then in a perfect world, this peer accountability that exists where, where we really kind of force ourselves to, to do that. And that exposure to discomfort, that exposure to staying in the awkwardness that happens, you know, we want to create this environment where people can bring their full ideas. And, and sometimes that's awkward and you have disagreements, but when you have this baseline of respect, the innovation just goes through, goes through the roof. And, and back to what you were saying earlier, you know, we think about ourselves individually, but we have to think again, like you said, of the organization as a competitive space in the marketplace. If we're not innovating, not only is that challenging to us at all, but if we aren't creating cultures of inclusion, we're at a competitive disadvantage in recruitment and retention because that's what people want, right? They want that full expression. They want the ability to grow. Nobody genuinely wants to just you know, come in and, and, and pot, punch the proverbial clock and then walk back out. Like you, you want to be committed to the organization, but you need to know the organization is committed to you. And this doesn't happen necessarily overnight, but but you can be a leader of of one, right? Like how do you get they can just be peer colleagues and and you can brainstorm about new and innovative ideas and then present them to um, you know, at the monthly meeting that you have with your team, right? That that creates an environment where somebody brings one good idea. Right. And and so we are the ability to create that. We don't wait for our leaders or or this to be this kind of top down um, dictate of how things happen within the organization. How do we create a sense of of belonging and, and vulnerability and honesty and transparency and belonging within our own team, who whoever, whomever that may be? Right. And, and again, we we push our boundaries. We can push our boundaries in places that are safer than you know, challenging the status quo at work to begin, but there's this perpetual confidence that comes from that push, that comes from your ability to sit in the discomfort, that comes from that, that that really is about your growth. And and that's the other idea about the steps is that, you know, you just take a little one, a little bit at a time, and then over a week, a month, a year, a career, you look back and you see how far you've come, but we don't expect those changes to be, to be instant, for them to be authentic, they have to be incremental because it's an actual change in ourselves and our ability to to wade into those situations and and operate in the best way that we know how. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you brought in the inclusion piece because that's really where I wanted to go next. You do a lot of work in the inclusion space. I really appreciate those efforts, and it, it's vitally important. Now, are there people who don't want to be in a quote unquote inclusive Workplace, um, sure, there are. Um, it, we 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 have seen over the past, you know, I mean, politically, socially in the United States over the 
you know, past <laughs> several years, uh, I, I have to admit, I'm a little disappointed in, in some of what I've seen in the country o- over that time in, in terms of um, how ideologies have, have ruled. But um, the reality is people come from different spaces. Um, most, though, I still am a believer that most want to live in an inclusive environment, both in their communities and at work. Most people want to be genuine and authentic. They don't want to have to put on a facade. They don't want to have to pretend to be something they're not. They want to be able to go and be who they are and have that be valued and have a true sense of belonging at their place of work. We spend so much time at work and I don't want to try to be something I'm not when I'm there out of fear of you know how I'm going to be viewed by others simply because of my sexual orientation or my race or gender or whatever, right? Whatever um, factor that we might uh, zoom in on. And so then the, the question becomes, you know, we, we talk about, about those eight pillars that you already mentioned. Uh, each of those can really play a, uh, an important part as we try to move the needle internally with ourselves, but also with our team, with our organization and trying to create a more inclusive environment. So I'm wondering if you might be able to um, tie in some of those eight pillars into your inclusion work, what role do those play as we're trying to uh, create a truly dynamic, inclusive uh, workplace with a belonging culture and environment? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love what you said there that that most people um, want to be part of an inclusive environment. They see the richness that comes from that, and, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think there is a segment of people that don't, and I think the vast majority of people that that do not are, are rooted in fear that they're gonna lose something, that it's gonna be, um, to be inclusive of other people is inherently exclusive of them, right? And, and that's a real feeling, right? If we want, if we know what it's like to be excluded and we have a colleague that feels like these changes are going to exclude them, then that's a connection, right? We, we know there's a, a common space right there. Uh, so, so I think that, that that's one. And if you genuinely believe that most people want that, why don't we get it? I think it's because people don't know how. What is my role, you know, hypothetical employee, Joe Schmo, what is my role as a straight, cisgendered, white male in an inclusive space, right? It inherently means not me. So our role as leaders, our role as advocates is, is that when we mean inclusion, we mean everyone, not just the people that agree with us, not just the people that are also marginalized or defined in a marginalized group. We are inclusive of everyone. And the first way to bridge that gap is empathy, right? That we know what it feels like to not belong. And this person is now fearful that they won't belong if these changes happen, that there won't be a place for them there, right? So, so how do we connect on where that comes from? How do we connect on they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing and then be tagged as a racist, misogynist, homophobe, right? Or wh- whatever that is. So, so how do we see ourselves as allies to aspiring allies, right? How do we have a safe space to have those conversations where somebody may say something that's offensive? We know their intentions are right. We know they're trying to learn. We maintain a dialogue where we can continually have those conversations because then that not only empowers us as a leader, and as a resource, but also empowers that person as an ally. And and I don't think we can understate the importance of of allyship because now that person is somebody that somebody can ask an awkward question to. It it no longer becomes my responsibility to to be the 
instructor for all things LGBTQ, right? When, when allies exist and they're empowered, it's easy to say, hey, I thought the same thing once and here's the book I read. Here's the conversation I had with Ash. Here's what I did to change my mind around that space, right? So I think that that's critical. And so that kind of goes into the next one, right? So, so we start with empathy to really meet people where they are, trust in their good intentions and, and not have an expectation that they walk that journey alone that, that we're here to, to help them through that as a leader. And then, and then the second, you know, the next piece is, is also responsibility. And, and if I want to be an ally, I have to know what people need from me, not necessarily what my strong suits are, but what are the people that I'm standing up for need from me? When I started to do, um, when I became more outspoken and more of an, uh, an advocate in my own life around LGBTQ issues, you know, I got very comfortable on my soapbox. Um, relative to myself, but then had friends who I worked with who were undocumented, saw them in a situation in a grocery store um, where, where they were having a hard, you know, somebody was giving them a hard time. And so I kind of sprung into activist mode and jumped up and created this, this big scene, um, you know, let them know they weren't alone and, and the other person kind of walked away and was, you know, pretty, pretty proud of myself, broadening my scope of influence, I feel like. And, and then I looked to my friend and she said, you can't do that. Like, what if that would have escalated to the point where people would have come? You know, I'm not undocumented. You know, my family's undocumented. Like, how could you do that to me? And I went from hero to goat very quickly, right? And, and so we need to know, we, we have our responsibility to know where we can help, where we can advocate, where we can use our privilege, my privilege being nothing bad was gonna happen to me in that situation, to be most effective for people that need it, right? So I think there's a real, there's a responsibility to, to self-educate and then to spread the word when we start to, to learn. And then we can, you know, you can go into courage and grace and all of these things build on each other, yeah. but they become the core of, of what we do. Yeah, I, oh, I love that. And I appreciate the grace that you're providing um, in, in the effort to bring along allies. Uh, and I, I definitely, I, you know, I'm, I'm a straight cisgendered white dude. Um, so I have all the privileges and I try to be an ally, but I know, and I'm positive that I put my foot in my mouth sometimes, despite my best intentions. Uh, and there have been times where people have been super generous to that. And they just helped me understand what I said and why, you know, it wasn't the, the greatest thing. Um, but I've had other times where people have dogpiled on me, um, because of some, a misstep. And, and so the, their willingness to, uh, their unwillingness to grant me a little bit of, of compassion or, um, you know, being a little patient with me as I was trying to figure out the right way to express what I was thinking. Um, you know, that, that just, all that did was cause me to disengage in that moment. And it took a while for me to choose to re-engage, um, you know, because of the fear. And so if, if we can um, try to open up space uh, for people to come along the journey with us, you know, that's going to be really, really important. That's part of what leadership is, right? That we're, we're leading the way, we're guiding the way and helping people along the way as well. Well, absolutely. Ash, and it's, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. So I was just going to say in those, and, and it's always those trusted relationships, right? If you and I have a connection that has nothing to do with diversity, right? But we have a connection about our kids, or we have a connection about what other things are happening in our lives. Like when we have that connection, that space for grace is significantly improved because I know you. And I was like, well, John, I mean, he said that, that was kind of goofy. It's more like I'm going to you and being like, 
you got something in your teeth, right? It's like that right. broccoli in the teeth moment, right? It's, it's, I'm here to help you to tell you something that's a little bit awkward, but you would want to know. And as friends, I'm going to tell you, there's also yep. times when you just call people out in the moment because it, it dictates that, you know, that kind of language is not used in our, in our conversations on our work team period and stop, you know what I mean? Like that's it. But there's so many more times when we can call people in, when we can say, Hey, I know you said this might've been what you meant. If you want to have a dialogue about it, we can, but here's where I'm coming from. Here's how it made me feel. Here's how it could have made Susie, Tom, or Joe feel, right? So so it's that, it's building those trusted relationships that have nothing to do with diversity based on your common connection as humans, where we really have that protected space for all of us to grow. Yeah, I love it. Ash, it has just been a real pleasure. I'm noting the time. It has flown by. I need to let you get on with your busy day, but I appreciate all of the wisdom, the insights that you've provided and shared with me and my listeners. Before we part today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, find out more about your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to my website, which is just ashbeckham.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at ashbeckham. Facebook is the same. LinkedIn's the same. And then Instagram is at the ashbeckham. Uh, I love connecting with people and and having conversations about about where they are and where where they want to go. Um, so I would encourage anybody to reach out. And the last, I guess, my last thought on on that idea of inclusive leadership is: do something today that scares you. Do something today that makes you uncomfortable. Not wildly uncomfortable, just something different than you had done in the past. I, I think if we want change, we have to be willing to change. And change is uncomfortable and awkward, but we get used to it when we start doing it. So. Do something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable and then and then see what happens the next day, right? And and build on that tomorrow. I love it. I love it. Ash, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out and get connected. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. 
We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.